Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is a Literary Studies podcast, and I'm Natalia, one of the hosts on the channel. Today I will be speaking with um, Alan Pasco about his book, Balzac, a Literary Sociologist. Hello, Alan. Hello, Natalia. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you. It's good to be here. So before we start um, talking about Balzac, do you mind uh, telling us um, a couple of words about your background? Yes, I uh, went to a good school, and what I wanted more than anything else was to have a million dollars by the time I was 30. And I finished this this school, which is Whitman College, and went to New York and got a job on Wall Street and hated it, just hated it, and went went to graduate school. And I fell in love with it, and so I've pursued it since then. Uh, It's offered me the opportunity to have intellectual exchanges with the best minds of the Western world and to get to know young people. I just love what I do. It's, It's a tremendous privilege, and they've been very good to me, I must say. So what did you study at the graduate school? I, my my undergraduate degree was from Whitman College. My master's degree was from Northwestern. Uh, my PhD was from the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Since then, I've taught at the University of Chicago, at Purdue University, at UCLA, and also here since 1989 at the University of Kansas, which has been an, a really interesting place to be. And how did this interest in French literature start? I was running away. My parents are in the sciences. And when I would bring home an A in physics, it would be a celebration. An A in English, they would yawn on their way to the dinner table. (laughs) And I... uh, Finally, I, I was unhappy, and I knew those were the days when children did what their parents told them to do, and I I knew that they would agree for me to go abroad for a year. So I financed a junior year abroad, and they agreed if I would raise the money, I could go. Mm. And I had a wonderful time, and in fact, I don't don't know, I always, languages are languages, but French uh, at the time really interested me. I loved the writers, and I've changed some, but it was mostly the existentialists at my age then that dragged me in. And since then, I moved to Proust, who's an incredible genius, and I began, because I didn't understand everything, I began to move backwards Mm -hmm. and went into the 19th century so that I could understand Proust better, and then in the 18th century, and frankly, I've just had such a good time that it's hard to go back. I just keep moving around. I'm currently writing a book on the short story, mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying that too. The 19th century has many masterful writers, and it's been, once again, a real joy, uh, a challenge uh, to get to know people like Victor Hugo. Mm-hmm. People like well, Balzac, I know reasonably well now, but I, every time I pick up one of his novels or books, I find something new. So that's what I'm doing. Currently I'm reading Maupassant, mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Miller calls him a lion in the path. I don't know about that, but he's a great short story writer, and I, I expect I will have an interesting chapter. Uh, so it's just, it's what I do, uh, that and teach, uh, teach.
teaching gives me the opportunity to talk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you and I <laughs> will exploit. Um, so, Balzac, uh, if you were to provide a sketch for him, what would it uh, look like? Balzac was a fat little man with bad teeth, <laughs> who, who was, I believe, one of the most significant aesthetic geniuses of the 19th century. An incredibly bright man. Um, he... Uh, had an, uh, a wide knowledge of literature from the ancients on. His command of French was incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, people who like Balzac uh, generally say that he was not a stylist, but they're talking about people like Chateaubriand and uh, Lamartine, who had a melodious uh, style, whereas Balzac's style, I call it a masculine, muscular style. He really was interested primarily in images, mm. and he uses images to make patterns. The difference between Balzac and Lamartine or Chateaubriand is the difference between uh, uh, Rimbaud and Verlaine. <laughs> uh, Rimbaud loved images, Verlaine loved sound. And uh, Balzac loved putting ideas together in patterns that were significant. And I think his idea was to make a pattern with his many, many novels and essays that would help people to understand the world they were living in. Most people were terrified. Uh, they, you know, they'd been through the revolution Nothing was working. The church was corrupt. The government was corrupt. Nothing was working properly. They really didn't understand where they were going. They wanted, they wanted an idea of what the future was like. And I think Balzac tried hard to provide that. Uh, and certainly I've enjoyed his insights which often are more insightful than historians are able to give us today. He was a brilliant writer and a brilliant man. There are people that are beginning to appreciate his style in recent years, uh, and I believe they should, uh, <laughs> because then they will pay more attention to it. Uh, and that, I think, is absolutely essential. So the France of Balzac's uh, time was undergoing some uh, deep and uh, dramatic and drastic changes. Oh my, yes. You know, during the, the 18th century, the aristocracy, which provided the leadership for the country, had become more and more corrupt, more less and less capable of uh, leading, uh, and uh, less and less uh, admirable. People were beginning to disdain them, and for good reason. Uh, while Louis XIV was very clever in providing a wonderful place to have parties at Versailles and uh, ways of entertaining the aristocracy, ways of keeping them from causing him difficulty. Uh, the fact of the matter is, when you have a class, 5% of the population, which is really doing nothing but having fun, <laughs> uh, you end up with a very bad uh, situation. Uh, uh, Louis XIV really didn't care. He thought he could lead the country. But he was followed by Louis XV, who really didn't do such a good job. And Louis XVI, who was if not incompetent, close to it. He probably was a very bright man, and if he had had good training, he probably could have been a leader. But he wasn't. Mm. And you have, so you have an aristocracy that's virtually worthless. Exceptions, but, but overall, as a class, almost worthless. And then, and then what was going on in the church? The church had become more and more corrupt. It had been one of the great forces in society, but more and more the wealthy were keeping the high church offices, 
and the poor were being shoved out with the peasants to get them out of the way. And in short, people began to disdain the church. And we know that because there's a gentleman who just died, Choli, who uh, points out with great clarity that there was little respect less uh, left for the church. The church had become uh, something to ignore. Mm -hmm. People quit going to church. People quit getting baptized. Peter, that's amazing. People quit calling for the, the priests to come at their deathbed. Uh, people began to simply ignore the church as being uh, unimportant. And families began to break up. The, the agricultural situation was not good. Uh, there were too many wars, both in the 18th and 19th centuries. And so because families were breaking up, children were going off to the big city. Children were paying no attention to the church. Uh, the, and so little by little, the family structures began to break down. Uh, it really was a terrifying time. And frankly, not too different from our own. Communication was beginning to uh, become more efficient and effective. Uh, and so ideas spread rapidly. Uh, Balzac came at, at, you know, after the major portion of this change began to take place. But nonetheless, he was very aware of it. And society during the 1830s and 40s uh, was very aware that something was happening. Mm -hmm. They weren't sure what. It's interesting to watch the things they publish. They, there is a genre called a physiology, a physiology, where they would describe various uh, professions, soldier, uh, seamstress, uh, school teacher, tutor, musician, and in the, but it was because people really wanted to know what people were like. Everything was different, and they wanted to understand. Uh, as we know, this is a period when realism comes in. But in fact, realism was a major portion of the 18th century. People wanted to understand as, as things slowly broke apart. They wanted to know what was going on. And Balzac was ready to help them, <laughs> and I think really ready, not only because he was so bright, but because he was so interested. So in other words, Balzac was commenting on those changes that were happening at that very moment. and Exactly it was... right, mm -hmm. exactly right. And I, I think, you know, if he had lived in our society, he would say, do similar things. <laughs> I found it very interesting that as, as far as modern sociologists are concerned, he saw the things that our modern sociologists see today in his period, in a period when there were, the fathers had been killed. There were villages in France that didn't have a single man between the ages of 15 mm. and 60 because of the wars, because of disease, but primarily the wars. You know, Napoleon was, in fact, a widowmaker. Uh, he took young people off and he got them killed. And, and as, as these things were happening, Balzac realized, saw, that young men, young people, uh, including women, were losing respect for their elders. And as they lost respect, they were harder and harder to control. And, and I, I think our modern sociologists, as you know, have gone to our cities and said, oh, the reason we're having trouble is because young men don't have fathers. Now, I don't agree with Balzac that mothers are unimportant. Uh, in, in several of his novels, he shows mothers that are unable to raise children. And I think that's probably pushing things too far. But I have no doubt whatsoever that he was right in pointing to the fact that fathers were either not not present in homes or they had a decreasing importance because they were trying to make a fortune, because they were traveling with the new transportation possibilities, because they had things to do outside the home. 
In the 18th century, fathers stayed home, essentially. Uh, and with exceptions, the aristocrats who could afford it went off to Versailles. But elsewhere, this growing middle class, the fathers stayed home. And suddenly this was changing. And you see the changes in so many ways. Uh, expanding illegitimate babies, uh, increasing syphilis. Uh, it, it was just that you would have to be blind, deaf, and uh, incapacitated to not realize that the society was falling apart. So, um what uh, Balzac was commenting was the weakened um, ties within the family. Um, and, and this idea of um, a children who were growing up without fathers uh, was uh, some sort of a crucial idea for the France of those times. And uh, that, uh, that uh, kind of phenomenon somehow influenced the future development of uh, uh, French society in any Balzac way? Balzac would say so. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure anyone else would, uh, until recently when sociologists have come along with exciting discoveries about our slums and said, my goodness, they have no fathers and this is important. But Balzac was very aware that families were in real trouble. All right? But he, he, was, he was just, you can find in Balzac a clear awareness that families need to work with their children. Families need to be aware of what's going on with their children. But families also need to be able to support them. And we're in a society that was stagnant, uh, a society, Piketty. I don't know if you've read his book, Capital, Capital, mm -hmm. But he suggests that in the 19th century, as today, mm -hmm. uh, young people have no chance of making a significant mark on society if they don't inherit a bundle of money. And in the 19th century, that definitely was true, and I think it may well be today. Uh, we, uh, I get by, but I certainly don't make an enormous mark in society the way a Bill Gates can, the way uh, a Soros can. And I think uh, probably Piketty is right. Uh, I don't know. I, I probably shouldn't carry Balzac into the current day, <laughs> but I follow a very intelligent uh, uh, historian, sociologist, and uh, in, in Piketty. So in his works, uh, Balzac uh, brings up a lot of issues. One of them was aristocracy. Another one was um, children who grow up without fathers. Um, there were other issues like uh, marriage or, or province life or city life. So there are all these fragments. But can we say that all these different fragments can um, be... Um, combined into a cohesive sociological view, which could be called uh, Balzac's sociological view. Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. They were all looking, all right, the whole uh, Condorcet, an 18th century thinker, uh, Saint-Simon particularly, who was also a proto-sociologist. Uh, and, and finally, Auguste Comte, you know, who was credited with being the uh, originator of sociology, the, they were all looking for the, the idea, as I called it, l'idée uh, générative, l'idée mère, uh, by which he meant uh, an, an idea that focused on what was going on. Uh, ideas are complexes, and they, he understood that Balzac understood, as did Saint-Simon, as did uh, Auguste Comte, they understood that an idea had many ramifications, many elements that work together that fit into a cohesive whole. To return to Balzac, Balzac Saint-Simon thought it was industry. Mm. And I, I really am not convinced. I've read and I think history tells us he was wrong. He was also unable to work with the little things in society. 
he had these big ideas that he spread to all the young people that surrounded him. And Balzac had a different idea. He said that basically society had become the slave of self-interest, mm. that people were no longer willing to work and give for other people, that people like uh, uh, Mademoiselle Salomon were unusual because they were so capable of giving freely to, to other people, that it was a society that was so incredibly self-centered that society was being destroyed. Uh, and I think his idea was that a self-centered, selfish uh, uh, idea uh, explained to us what was going on in that society. And he also described it as a deep, pervasive love of gold. Mm -hmm. And of course, what he meant by gold was very simply what it takes to buy power, what it takes to buy influence, what it takes to buy things. Uh, and and he has many examples in the course of these novels. Uh, probably the most famous uh, miser uh, of, of literature in Gopsek. But he also shows how people are willing to give up uh, real value in La Rabouilleuse, for example, he's got two boys who betray their family for money. Uh, he's got a doctor who's willing to buy a little girl uh, for his pleasures. We have people who are willing to sell, in, in fact, their souls in order to, uh, to buy position in society, to buy things, to buy comfort to buy you know, whatever they, their, their web led, led them to, to desire. Is, you can hardly say that La Comédie Humaine is optimistic. Uh, I think his description was to the contrary, uh, very discouraging. But I think he did it believing that if people understood what they were doing, they would change their ways and perhaps society could be improved. There are little hints of that in the course of, of his book. So it looks like there is a very, I would say, heavy sense of despair uh, in, the majority, okay. in the majority of his works, and you have a very interesting uh, section on suicide motives or themes uh, in Balzac's works. Could you, could you um, talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, uh, suicide, of course, was not a major problem uh, since St. Augustine. Uh, he uh, declared it a sin. And so all these martyrs who were going off to the desert to die uh, were filled with fear and quit. So from the 3rd, 4th century on through the 17th century, suicide was a very minor problem. Even people that were very ill would not commit suicide because, according to St. Augustine, it was absolute condemnation. They would go straight to hell. Uh, the images that they had of suicide, they would bury people at crossroads, drive stakes through their hearts. It was terrible. And then, in some cases, would confiscate the wealth of the family to publish all of to punish all of them for what this, the, the person who committed suicide did. This continued, as near as I can tell, until about 1765. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking this date from uh, a very famous and well-known uh, writer of children's stories, who says in one of her collections of stories that suicide had been a problem for, I think she says, 25 years. And if you count back in 1765, and at that point, uh, she says everybody suddenly began to have somebody in the family that committed suicide. So we began to see more and more people uh, either jumping in the sand and drowning uh, or uh, using the Richard the little heaters, the, uh, the carbon charcoal heaters that everybody had in the inexpensive uh, 
uh, apartments, and they would use them to die. Actually, Zola was killed, probably because of, a, uh, of, of uh, uh, charcoal, not because he committed suicide, because somebody stuffed up his chimney <laughs> and uh, to get even with his support mm -hmm. of Dreyfus. But he, he oh, this became a major problem, so that by the 1830s and 40s, there were hundreds of people committing suicide regularly. As you know, too, from the story of Goethe's story, Goethe, uh, it became very fashionable. A lot of young people would commit suicide holding mm -hmm. uh, the story of Genevieve. And, and um, it, it became absolutely fashionable. In one, in one of the novels that I dearly loved uh, by a character that Balzac was not fond of, uh, he tells the story of a character who suggests to his girlfriend that they commit suicide together, which was fashionable. And the reason he suggested was so that they could make a mark in society. And his girlfriend essentially said, don't be a dope. Uh, Ribault was the author, Louis Ribault was the author of this novel. Uh, and uh, uh, she makes it very clear that you have to be a numbskull to do that sort of thing, which did not slow people down, as you know. Uh, today, we say, well, suicide, people get depressed and they commit suicide. We all understand and we feel sorry for them. In those days, uh, the suicide surely had something to do with that, but we can almost always trace it back to poverty, to disease, Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, an inability to uh, to make any kind of a mark, uh, and uh, often often it was because of a love affair. But we know today that even if a love affair goes sour, there's a serious case of, of sickness that would allow people to get to the three or four o'clock in the morning when people commit suicide. Uh, Balzac realized that suicide was a terrible problem in society. Mm. He also apparently realized that people who don't, in the end, commit suicide usually won't a second time. Mm. Uh, the, but it was hard in the 1840s when he really talked about it with La Vie Fille, uh, because it was people were getting used to it. Mm. And as somebody said, they would go to the cafe and while drinking their coffee, their morning coffee, would see how many people committed suicide the night before. Oh. Well, uh, Balzac realized it was not funny. Mm -hmm. And in La Vieille Fille, he spends probably 25, 30 pages building a young man, uh, Auguste, into a person that people were sympathetic with. Not just another person who jumped off the bridge, but a very nice young man who had a future. And because he was being ignored as a young person, because he was not given the opportunities that he should have had because of his brilliance, he, he, he finally gave up and jumped in the stream near his home. Um, Balzac, it's astonishing to read this passage because by this time, suicide had become comic. People did it, but it was dumb, and uh, they deserved to be made fun of. But Balzac realized that it was not funny, mm -hmm. that it was a terrible tragedy, and for him, suicide grew directly from the fact that the uh, July monarchy had become a society where all power was kept in the hands of the old people, the gerontocracy. And he felt like that power should be taken away from them. Mm -hmm. What was happening because they were so greedy, because they were unwilling to give up their positions, because young people were not given the opportunity to rise in society. Society was being hurt and seriously hurt. They needed these young people with new, fresh ideas, the kind of people that I see every day in, in my classes, really bright young people who are capable 
of making a difference in society. And he looked around himself and he saw the same sort of thing. And after all, in the 1840s, he was only 40 years old, and he really believed he could make a difference in the society. So uh, it looks like uh, Balzac was commenting on those issues which were quite ambivalent. Um, and uh, on the one hand, uh, suicide by Balzac was um, viewed as uh, something connected with uh, material things. On the other hand, it, on the other hand, it was connected with Christianity and religious um, uh, opinions and ideas. And Christianity is another uh, aspect that uh, you extensively wrote about in your book. Um, so, what are those ambivalent opinions about Christianity in general that uh, Balzac was uh, kind of emphasizing? Balzac's idea of Christianity would not have made it past the Pope. <laughs> Uh, he, uh, his Christianity included uh, a big dose of uh, mesmerism, mm. uh, uh, various occult writers, uh, but basically he felt there was a God, there's no question that he believed in that. Uh, I'm not convinced that he was a Christian. Uh, though he would not, even in this society where they were no longer burning heretics, he would not have said, I think, out loud that he was not. But he certainly was a deist. Uh, and I think his, his feeling about religion was not too dissimilar from the intellectuals of the 18th century who really believed that suicide was earth, that Christianity, the church, religion, was essential because uh, the lower classes needed it uh, and to keep them uh, so that they would behave properly, so that they would work well, and so that they would be useful to society. But basically he felt that Christianity had lost its influence in society. Churches were empty, uh, even, even out in the provinces where there was significant social pressure for people to go to church. People just didn't, less and less did they bother. Uh, and more and more, as the families broke up and the children left, uh, the churches were empty, and they continued to be empty. They really had nothing to say to young people anymore. And in fact, they were incredibly corrupt. Mm. Um, it, it was, and he talks about this, in, in Le Curé Tour, uh, where he talks about a funny little priest who really isn't too smart, and, and how he, he Balzac makes, him, makes him typical. He just wants comfort, and he's very happy when he's got a nice soft bed and a warm fire and a nice bottle of his favorite hooch. And, and uh, yet, in the same household, there is a selfish, self-centered, aggressively ambitious priest by the name of Troubert. And Troubert, if that doesn't make you think of trouble, I don't know what does. Troubert wanted to take the world over. But he couldn't, of course, so he moves up in the church and exercises his power to show he has power. And one of the things he does is destroy this pathetic little priest who really doesn't matter. And in fact, what's so sad about it is if this priest really has no positive effect on society except to be a nice person and, and uh, very selfish, but still a nice person. And <coughs> Balzac uses him for several reasons. One, to show the terrible uselessness of the church mm -hmm. and also to show its corruption. He shows how a man like Toubet could rise in the church and become a bishop, uh, Iassant is the name he took, and how he could destroy an important family as well, or at least, if not destroy, make that family behave as he would like them to. And they indeed uh, bowed to him, did exactly what he wanted them to do, that is to say, they uh, eventually uh, pushed the little priest who had been a friend uh, off, uh, refused to invite him to their gatherings anymore, 
uh, even when they, uh, one of their members, Madame de Lissomère, when she left him a little bundle of money, uh, Troubert came along and convinced the family to attack the will so that the money was withdrawn. And then and, uh, to really get even with uh, 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 Le Curé's uh, friend, who was dead, uh, L'Abbé Chaplou, uh, he has him transferred to a church, Saint-Siphorien, which was extremely humid. And he knew very well, Troubert knew very well, that poor little Birotto, having uh, arthritis, would suffer terribly in this very humid church. I mean, the pettiness. <laughs> he says that Troubert, in a different society, which was ruled the way society should be ruled, and for Balzac it was with a monarchy. If he were in a society like that, Troubert would have risen to become extremely important in society and probably would have worked good, uh, like a number of churchmen did in the 18th century, with enormous impact on society, Richelieu uh, and others. Uh, so in his depictions, uh, Balzac was masterfully combining the external and the internal, commenting on both, on those, uh, on that turmoil that an individual was going on and about his or her um, sufferings, and uh, that turmoil that was going on in the society in general. And um, it looks like uh, there is one more uh, aspect that is very interesting for this kind of uh, in-between uh, state or in-between condition where the internal and external uh, um, combine. Um, it's marriage and his comments about marriage. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he also wrote a couple of treaties on marriage. Is that is that right? Yeah, they're comic. Oh, uh, comic? They would not make you uh, <laughs> desire of, of a married life, he really felt that most marriages don't work. Mm -hmm. And uh, he definitely was not interested in getting married himself until he found just the right woman. And naturally, she had to be an aristocrat, and she had to be extremely wealthy. <laughs> and indeed, he found her. <laughs> Polish aristocrat. Uh, Balzacians tend to hate her. Mm. As they say, she when he died at fifty, uh, they say she did not protect his manuscripts. Mm, mm. She allowed his manuscripts to be sold to wrap beat in. Uh, we have a marvelous uh, scholar by the name of Lou Anjou, who went around and collected all that stuff from the garbage cans, essentially, uh, so that we have a lot of it today because he was such a uh, an avid translation. But I think they were unfair. Uh, she did indeed take care of him, even after he became very ill. Uh, when she married him, he was very ill. Mm. And he became more and more ill uh, in the years. And he also, I, I, he was not all that easy. Brilliant, <laughs> yes, but not that easy to live with. Uh, I think it would be hard to have somebody who insisted on being the center of attention 24-7. Mm -hmm. That exactly was the way Balzac was. When he would walk into a settle, uh, he expected to be the center of attention. He would go to the, to the fireplace, lean on the mantle with his cane, and uh, tell stories and talk, and everybody would gather around him. I don't know if you'd like to be married to someone like that, but I wouldn't. <laughs> Uh, furthermore, he spent money. You know, she gave him, I've forgotten how much it was, but it was a lot, 100,000 francs, mm -hmm. which in those days was real money. Uh, and he went and bought uh, antiques that were very valuable, he thought. But in fact, he was accepting the, uh, the fictions of the antique dealers. Mm -hmm. And so he has, uh, he had, he purchased at a high price things that supposedly were in uh, the dishes of Marie Antoinette, furniture that Napoleon had used, all of which, uh, by the time Madame Oscar actually got to Paris to begin a life with him, 
he had spent all of the money that she'd given him. He, he, he was absolutely irresponsible, uh, but a great artist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So uh, he um, combines all these diverse fragments and he uh, somehow constitutes his own universe, uh, his own uh, view on the on life in general, on the society, on, uh, on the world. Uh, but uh, in your book, um, you emphasize the fact that uh, uh, Balzac wasn't just a storyteller. And that's how we know him today, that he is a great storyteller. And he is a uh, uh, master of uh, narrative. And um, uh, there is a, a very nice uh, paragraph um, in, your, in your book, and if you don't mind, I would like to read it out. Uh, it's page 178. The novelist had a clear sense of plot as a malleable device, uh, amenable to innumerable permutations, as he knew it was an empty structure that could incorporate different types of characters working toward different ends. He understood that just as there are stock characters, there are also stock plots and situations. So, um, would you would you comment on his uh, narrative technique a little bit in 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 the connection with uh, his uh, sociological um, interpretations of those phenomena uh, which were happening in France? You have to remember with Balzac that one of the reasons that he knew that everybody was committed to gold is because he was, mm -hmm. and he wanted to make a fortune. There was no question about it. And in fact, he made many fortunes. Uh, he would make an enormous amount of money and then he would invest it poorly and lose it. And then would begin to have to write 20 hours a day, sometimes more, in order to make another pile, which he would then invest in another different way. He knew very well that Eugène Su was a very popular writer and yet very empty. And he knew that the reason he made so much money was because he wrote such good stories. <laughs> and so you can be sure that he was not so foolish mm -hmm. as to ignore plots. And you will find every one of his books has a good plot, tells a good story. But he does strange things with the plots. They will end three chapters before the end of the book. And then you've got a new cha a new story coming in, a new character, something new. Uh, that was not his major interest. His major interest was to produce an image of a society that had gone south, mm -hmm. that was sick, that, that really needed to change before it destroyed itself. But he it was a master of plot. Uh, and I think, I, I think well, the best example that I have in this book is La Rabouilleuse, which the, the plot is negligible. Uh, what we do is we follow an inheritance from one person to another across the book. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and indeed, you can find plots in there, but none of them really can be considered to, to control mm. the whole of the book. What he's doing in that book is not telling a story, He's talking about the commitment of society to, uh, to, to money, the damage that had been done to society by the lack of boys, by the lack of fathers, by the lack of, by the gerontocracy's refusal to give power to the young. And, and he looked around and he saw young people uh, Flore Brasier in this particular book, who was not an admirable woman. Uh, and understand, they were very, much more clear in those days about what it took to be an admirable woman. And it certainly was not having a threesome in the house, as <laughs> she did. Uh, and, 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 and he felt that without a strong paternity, uh, society was was doomed. Uh, indeed, you can find doom mm -hmm. in all of his novels. I think, let me give a, an example that's not in my book, it's in another one of my books, Le Pérouille, Father Gorio, that everybody's read, I think. And, you know, we have two schools of scholars. One school says, 
Balzac really blew it. <laughs> Should have called that novel Rastignac because he's the center of the book. And then others that say, no, no, he was right. It was really about Father Gorio and him falling apart. And I would say nonsense. Uh, the book is really about a corrupt society that would put love up for sale. Uh, a corrupt society that had given up the real value of human life, which is love, as far as it's concerned. So the fact that uh, Balzac somehow uh, brings up these global issues um, gives some uh, ground uh, to some scholars to uh, compare Balzac to um, Shakespeare. But you actually disagree with that kind of opinion. And uh, again, it's page 234. Um, you said, um, uh, though I'm not sure that I would agree when uh, Lily suggests that Balzac is the French Shakespeare, given the English master's integration into the whole of Western civilization, I have no trouble at all when he claims that Balzac was a competent historian. <laughs> actually, I would go further. <laughs> He was a great historian, mm -hmm. certainly a great sociologist. But I, I think Shakespeare really is in another uh, in another category, like Dante. Uh, but I think I think Balzac is indeed a great writer. You know, in France, I don't know if you spent time there, but you can buy Balzac in the railroad stations. Mm. People continue to read him. He's, he's a good novelist. You know, he really is. He's interesting. Uh, I think many of them are not aware how seriously he took the uh, society that was doomed, a society that was falling apart. And I'm not at all sure that they see in these novels what he really tried to put in, an inability to recognize what real value was. Real value was society. Mm -hmm. Real value was religion. Real value was love, was virtue. Real value was honesty. It was, and the old-fashioned virtues. And actually, you can find similar things in Shakespeare, but Shakespeare has had such an incredible impact across the world that Balzac has not had. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I love Balzac, but I don't think he's in that category. So, uh, um, what's your uh, current project? Is it somehow connected with Balzac? You, uh, you mentioned well, that have, you just yeah, came I'll, back from I'll, Fran I'll, France. I'll have one chapter <laughs> on Balzac, mm -hmm. and I think probably it will be uh, Le Berge Rouge, The Red Inn. Uh, but I'm writing a, a book on the short story. I'm fascinated uh, on several levels. Uh, France in the 19th century, uh, prose came into its own. And they have the incredible uh, luck to have had half a dozen brilliant writers, uh, maybe more, maybe a dozen, I don't know. But certainly among novelists, you know, they have Victor Hugo, they have Balzac, they have uh, Zola, they have Flaubert, they have. It's just amazing, the richness. And they also, most of those people that I just mentioned, wrote brilliant short stories. Well, I got interested in short stories because in the classroom, it's hard to teach novels. Mm -hmm. Students are only good for 30, 40 pages these days, a week, used to be a class period. Uh, so it, it's hard to teach a whole. You know, when you're teaching a writer like Hugo, you can follow the plot. When you're teaching a writer like Bazak, however, you really don't get the point until you get to the whole. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. it's not the plot that matters, it's the image of the society that makes a difference. And so I began to use short stories mm. in my classes and had a lot more luck uh, teaching about how literature works. So 
In this book, I want to talk about what makes short stories so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think the answer has to do with great short story writers sometimes manage to take advantage of the shortness and use it as a device to give impact to the story that they tell. Um, I, I, I think that's true of all of the writers that I mentioned that I'm going to put in or have written so far. And I think uh, it's, I find it really exciting and I hope that I'll be able to uh, encourage people to read for some of the things that are important in these fantastic short stories by Victor Hugo, by, by, by Balzac, by Flaubert, by Zola. Uh, I, I'm still thinking about working with uh, a female writer, um, Joshua Sun, mm -hmm. George Sand in English. Who, who, uh, she bothers me. She, I don't know. I, I just bought 70 volumes of her work. And that's, uh, I think she wrote something like 300 volumes, you know. I don't think she ever reread anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I find her annoying. Uh, <laughs> but on the other hand, she really does have power. Mm -hmm. And uh, I keep thinking maybe I should, Balzac, for example, called her the Banam Sun. Uh, the, the the good man sang. Uh, Flaubert did as well. They had a high regard for her. And I have a high regard for them. And I think maybe I'm missing something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I'm going to, as soon as, I'm currently working on Maupassant, as I believe I said, and as soon as I finish this chapter, uh, I'll be working on conclusions. Uh, as soon as I finish this chapter, I think what I'm going to do is withdraw and read sand, read and read and read. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, see if I can figure out what she does. Uh, will I succeed? I don't know. <laughs> I hope. Well, thank you so much and good luck on this project. And thank, thank you. you so much for this fascinating conversation and for your wonderful book that contributes to the reputation of uh, Balzac. As, as you say, he's not just a great storyteller, but uh, he is a sociologist and, uh, and a great historian as well. I think so. I thank do. you so much, Alan. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Natalia.